This is Comictating, the comic book review arm of the Nerdables family of podcasts. Let the nerds take over! Us? Huh? Welcome back, comic book fans, to the latest issue of Comictating. Again, my partner Sebastian and I are here to talk to you about big comics this week, new comics this week, good comics this week, confusing comics this week, I don't know. We're going to get into bullseye number one which I think both of us are sort of on the fence with. Um, we have Vampirella, number zero, Will Eisner's The Spirit, The Corpse Maker, Chapter 1, and the newest Star Wars title, Darth Maul. The Return of Darth Maul the return in of Darth the Maul. Star Wars Expanded Universe. And it's a pre-Phantom Menace book. Yes, so. it is. Yes, it is. We're going to start with Bullseye. Uh, Bullseye, number one, obviously the opponent of Daredevil, arch-nemesis, uh, Colin Firth, no, not Colin Firth. Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell. The Colin me. Farrell. Of where's the where's, Col- where's the Colin Firth Bullseye movie? That's the one we want. If Colin Firth were a villain, though, who would you want to see Colin Firth? Today? Somebody, mm. somebody a bit classier than uh... Colin Firth. Type person that I think would play like in a demeanor would be sort of like Luther. I can see him being you a, know. a pretty good, very just a high, like high concept sort of. Yeah, someone who's who's kind of controlling. Kind of in the got it under control sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Luther would be my my sort of. I mean, he doesn't have the physical look for it, but I don't think that's as important as just having that air, right. having that the that presence piece to it. Yeah, Luther always reminds me of someone who tries to pretend to be old money, right? Arist- right. Aristocracy and and what have you. Even though he does, he's, he's not really. I'm trying to think of someone in the Marvel universe that might be. Ooh, it could be Sebastian Shaw. That would uh, head of the Hellfire Club. That wouldn't be too bad. It's, uh, it's an English-based club. Yeah, it has its roots all the way back into when the English were. You would in the make Americas. a good one because they did uh, Kevin Bacon as yeah. him, which uh, I neither here nor there about. But Colin Firth, I think, would well, probably. They, he's kind of a name only. Yes, I mean he's had the same power set, but he was very different than what you would imagine the Sebastian Shaw from the Chris Claremont era in to the be, introduction yeah. of so the yeah, Hellfire Club. I'm fine further. with. I'm totally fine with. I Colin could see Firth Colin Firth. Firth. Yeah, that'd be interesting. But yes, I always point out the Colin Farrell bit since they changed Bullseye's appearance to have that carved-in bullseye, bullseye scar uh, scar on his head. So we have a book uh, that runs into, I think, one of the, the problems when you have a book like this, which is you're following a villain. Uh, so we have a book written by Ed Brisson, art by Guillermo Sana, uh, color by Miroslav Merva. There's a... There's a, there's a there's a vowel missing there. M R V A. Yeah. Hopefully we've pronounced that at least somewhat properly. Yeah. And it is an interesting book, but it's a hard book because you don't really have a hero. Sure. And I think that's sort of the like for for something like this when you see it as like a mini series, you can take that for what it is. It's gonna be four, six issues, you're following the villain for a little bit. And I didn't mind the characterization of Bullseye in this book at all. I do no. sort of like going back to that very crazy a bit edgy daredevil villain that is bullseye and not stepping into the sort of the weird Colin Farrell, like hyper obsessive, almost like he's got yeah. like an OCD sort of villain. But, and in the Marvel universe, he's been through a lot of, I mean, he's been dead, paralyzed, brought back to life, dead again, brought back to life. And he sees, he kind of went put through the ringer through the end of Bendis's series as yes. it went into Wade's series. Uh, but here we have the, the classic, in a sense, bullseye up and around, young, obviously can hit everything, and as you said, uses paper clips effectively 
in what you think is must-have super strength. Yes, uh, that's that's my one bone of contention when they when they take a villain like Bullseye and there's uh, as cool as it is, it's one of those visually interesting moments where he's sort of talking to the person who gives him his missions yeah, and he manager. gets bored. His manager, he gets bored and he just starts flicking paper clips out the window and he first hit, hits a cyclist in the head and that person crashes into a car and then he kills the guy who drives the car with the paper clips. And again, uh, he pops the tires on an ambulance with paper clips that he's flicking out windows. So only something I can only attribute to having super strength because yeah, I feel the like second or third story window, he's firing paper clips into enough to, to puncture a tire. Right. I mean, you, you can say he never misses, but he can't make something impossible. He can't miss with a paper right. clip. So like, he's got super strength. He's yeah, hiding that. He's got some, some sort Bullseye of Bullseye is the sort of villain that as much as I love him is kind of the guy that the, if you do that in like a venture brothers esque hyper reality, yeah. he's, he's very much that Austin powers joke. Who throws a shoe? Really? Yeah. You're just going to have like Who throws a shoe? forks and spoons wanging off of people heads and they're just going to go, ah, ow. What? Yeah. He's just like throwing bizarre stuff at people. Yeah. Um, I will say, I really like the art Guillermo Sana's art. It's a in that art. kind of Leandro Fernandez style, uh, the type of art that a lot of um, the Punisher book before Steve Dillon had taken back over when Becky Cluden started writing the new series has that kind of feel to it. It's 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 hard to explain. I mean, really, without an art degree. Um, I like it. The expressions are very nice. Very, very yeah. exaggerated expressions is what uh, what I like in the book. Especially, it's got that. It has a very animated feel to it. Yeah, the color palette's really good with it as well. Oh yeah. I said, if you're a fan of uh, the art that, especially has been in in um, uh, Punisher for the most. Yeah, part. but also Lots Mark Wade's Mark Wade's Daredevil, Marcus yes. Martin. Yes. And um, oh my goodness, I can't remember. I think Cliff Chang's kind of in that that same spot. Pablo Rivera was the other one. I can remember the other artist that was doing the, uh, the early Miller work with it. So it's in there. His, you know, you have a book that's got gunplay and, and knives and swords in it, and everything looks really good. The FBI agent that's in it when she confronts the manager, um, her gun is a real gun. It's not something that looks like a ray gun or anything. Right. right. So there's a good sense of there's a sense of feel. There's a sense of weight to what he's doing. If you enjoy Bullseye, you're going to enjoy the book. It is. I don't. I don't know if it's maybe just you know me being the old guy now or something. Um, of uh of, of following the villain and kind of reveling in the the mass violence and pure chaos that he creates but it is like you said it's very visually interesting which is always the best way to do it um it's something that i don't mind in small doses i don't mind yeah. getting these kinds of stories yeah if, like if gonna... this is if this is going to be an ongoing you're in trouble right because it, then it becomes one of those things where you sort of lose that like well what's sort of the end goal here yeah but uh, otherwise, I, I found it very, very enjoyable, especially did you read for the, the characterization. I did read the backup. The back I yeah, the it backup. Marv nice. Wolfman uh, writer, Alc Morgan, uh, as the artist. Marv Wolfman's writing uh, Raven for DC right now. It's been writing a couple of different titles here and there, and it's always cool. It's one of those those legendary creators that I think a lot of new fans don't know how much he brought to the uh, brought to the industry. Uh, the guy who took on X Men and won with New Teen Titans. Uh, it's cool to see him being used by multiple uh, companies now, multiple publishers. Yes, to bring it in. And yeah, it was a, it was a very interesting backup. Uh, again, if you if you like Bullseye, it's a very Bullseye backup. A lot of action, some fun dialogue in it. There's fun dialogue in the uh, in the in the main one as well. So that is Bullseye number one. 
I think it's a limited series. Never says what it's a limited. I think Marvel's sort of like never saying it's a limited series that way. They can just hey, it's an ongoing. We always said it was an ongoing. Yeah, it just says Bullseye number one. So yeah, and uh, if it's they're not being straightforward, and the cover art by Dave Johnson is absolutely awesome. Oh yeah, Dave Johnson's cover art is always fantastic. It is some of the best Punisher covers are. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Are are Johnson's covers? Yeah, that is really really strong. Love that one. Yeah. Move on to Dynamite. Dynamite has uh, released Vampirella number zero. They are relaunching Vampirella again, and they're doing a special introductory issue, 25 cents. We're was... back in, like, the 1960s. Yep, no, it's uh, it's kind of crazy to see to see that, but if you really want somebody to jump onto a book, giving them a price like that, it is it is a very short book, though. It's yeah. a very, very shortened zero issue. It's about half size, maybe. And, yeah. But I, I thought it was really cool. Vampirella's a character that I thoroughly enjoyed over the years. And the one thing that I would note is if you like very pulpy, classic sci-fi style stories, this one takes a huge page out of oh, that yeah. book. It's very much more uh, that sci-fi feel to it. You can see it in the beginning. The designs have a near future type uh, look to them. Yes. And it's They're Paul in a... Cornell, who, if I'm not mistaken, did a couple episodes of Doctor Who. He was also writing for so, DC yeah. a while ago. Oh, yeah. Ago. He was writing for DC like crazy. Paul Cornell also has the best... Captain Britain run. Yes, yes he does. Captain Britain and MI-13, which they've half collected, if you could ever find it. Right. Versus the vampires. Oh, it's so good. It's brilliantly done. Um, Cornell does, uh, has a bit of a background in, yes, that kind of crazy, uh, fun sci-fi, going to throw everything against the wall. It's not necessarily the the sci-fi of using science fiction to to satirize or discuss or analyze your current culture it's more like hey in sci-fi dracula lives on the moon sure and he has uh vampire torpedoes that he shoots out of spaceships that look like galleons right right exactly because he gets invited to earth somehow and he just starts firing all these yes of course have to look like coffins yeah they look like coffins and this thing and and you're reading like well that sounds so dumb but when you're in the middle of captain britain and mi-13 you go this is awesome this is amazing. It's so it's such it's, it's so yeah, good. It's, it's uh, so it, good. It's so yeah. It's the it's a very high fantasy sort of like let's just do all yeah. the crazy things, and I like this. It's got that feel of like we're on a desolate world, you know, possible future Earth. We've got uh, monsters chasing down these three people. These like flying almost like uh, almost very much like gargoyle esque classic style vampires. Yeah, they definitely monstrous. had a feel of a like a like a flying vampire. You know, bat form, yeah, dark angels, sort of that thing. Yeah, Jimmy Broxton does the art, uh, it hard style art. It's kind of like Michael Michael Clark or Michael Lark, excuse me, uh, that did Daredevil with again. Uh, we'll talk about Daredevil with Brian Michael Bendis for so long, and then there's these these cool little pieces on the bottom and this kind of 1970s psychedelic script of what going through Vampirella's mind as these characters come closer to what ends up being her resting place, and it it it's got a bit of a meta feel to it towards the end um it's just set up of a very kind of singular idea of her being someplace that she doesn't know where she is she's been resting for a long time uh she's in a different world and yeah, she's in the now far far flung yeah. future she's been asleep for years so this is sort of trying to separate itself from the classic and even the more recent vampirella stories was just like no we're going very far into the future vampirella has awoken and I like it. No, I, I like. Yeah, it's very, very cool. It's, it's, yeah, definitely got that that pulpy science fiction horror mashup feel. Again, for a quarter. I mean, really, what what are you going to complain about, right? Right, right. And yeah, it's a good start. I mean, it's good. something just to, to to try. I mean, it's one of those things, kind of like dollar comics. They're try me books. You yeah, know, it's yeah, something exactly. just to kind of. 
it's fun to like go and find a bunch of those and see if anything clicks with you. Yes, you yeah. Know, it's it's especially if it's if it's a quarter or if it's a dollar or whatever. Right. You don't feel bad sort of investing in the book. You've spent yeah. a quarter, and if you enjoy the story, you know you're going to continue picking it up, and it's yeah. really really solid. The plus it feels you're like I got a big stack of comics, and they weren't that much. Yeah. <laughs> Going back to when the Silver Age. Yeah. When uh, Image is doing a lot of reprints of Image Firsts now with a dollar for a first issue of a bunch of stuff that's coming down the pipeline. So we'll have those. This week, uh, DC Comics Boom Studios got together and did uh, Planet of the Apes and Green Lantern. Uh, yes, six-issue miniseries combining two of some of my most favorite sci-fi things. I was going to say, you're, you're a big Planet of the Apes fan, so Planet you read this. I did incredibly enjoyable it's a it's a it's a total introduction issue but the idea is is that someone's out there they're capturing lanterns and sort of the MacGuffin for the story is that uh, somebody has crafted a universal ring and the ring finds itself on the dreaded planet of the apes the dreaded yeah and post uh post the lantern core members being captured we find nova from uh, the first movie who is standing at a crater, and Cornelius finds her, finds the crater, and then finds the universal ring deep in the crater. He retrieves it, and they return to Dr. Zira. And we sort of jump back to the regular version of the DC Comics Earth with Sinestro and the Green Lantern Corps, and that's where we sort of find out that the hunt begins. So very, very, very interesting. It's, again, it's not all over the place. It's giving you a bit of an introduction to both the Green Lantern characters and to the Planet of the Apes characters, if you are not familiar with them. And that's always the tough part in these types of mashups, where you may have someone coming to this as a Green Lantern fan that doesn't know the lore of Planet of the Apes, or vice versa. Right. And you have to explain. There's a lot to explain very quickly, and it has to be, I think it has to be very bare bones, because you try to get into the myth mythology of both of these uh, properties, you're just going to get lost. Yes. So I keep it very, very simple. They haven't done anything too far out for the Planet of the Apes. This takes place presumably just after the first movie, the original movie starring Charlton Heston, because it is Nova. She's alone out in the middle of the Forbidden Zone, and Cornelius finds her. They don't know where Taylor is, and for the Green Lantern, not necessarily needing a point in time for any of the Green Lantern comics themselves. And I specify the Planet of the Apes timeline because if you don't know anything about Beneath the Planet of the Apes, Earth is destroyed. So it can't be after that movie. No, it can't. But I do enjoy Cornelius in this book. We get a little bit of Dr. Zero. Of course, we're hoping to get classic characters like Dr. Zayas if you're a fan Dr. of The Zayas, Simpsons. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas, you got his Dr. big Zayas, break Dr. on The Simpsons, obviously. <laughs> Nobody knew who he was before The Simpsons. Of course. Uh, you put it by the only hit that Falco had. So lots of nice little references for both Green That's Lantern. That's not fair to Falco. He had Commissar, too. Ah, yes, true. Commissar's in the... Oh, oh, oh. Uh, real quick, story by Robbie Thompson. Justin Jordan does the writing. I think Justin Jordan was doing one of the Green Lantern books. I could be wrong. Did he do one a while ago? Maybe, Sounds yeah. Like... And uh, Barney Begenda. Barnaby Begenda. Barnaby, Barnaby Jones. So uh, doing the art, Barnaby Beginda, which you enjoy, which actually is very good. It's, it's, it's very... It's really, really nice art. Yeah. I'd love to see him either on a Planet of the Apes book or a Green Lantern book. He's got it's very, definitely very got a, It's definitely got that DC feel. Yes. Uh, to, to not necessarily a house style, but it looks like it would fit much more into that Green Lantern book than the type of stuff that Boom has been doing with Planet of the Apes. It goes all the way back to the stuff they were doing with uh, Hardman and, um, oh, goodness, I can't remember the artist's name. I want to say it was Max something, Coachella or something like that. Uh, those early books are actually very good. 
they're incredibly good. If you're a classic Planet of the Apes fan, do check out some of what Boom has done with Planet of the Apes. I don't think you'll be disappointed. So it's always fun to do these types of mashups, and it, it, it's sometimes very tough to pull them off. It is. Uh, in a well way, but for the most part, uh, the Green Lantern ones have been fun. I mean, they've done Green Lantern in Star Trek, yes. which I thought, you know, for what it was made sense. Um, you know, it was a great X-Men Star Trek crossover that they did a, a long, long time, time ago. ago. Uh, Mark Silvestri did at least half of it. I think he did one of the one company or the other. Um, Dr. McCoy? Yes. And both Beast yes, and Bones. Yes, that, that was a great joke. A great, great joke. But yeah, that stuff's out there as well. So we've got Planet of the Apes, Green Lantern, uh, a solid start for oh, yeah. something that can be very difficult. And there's something oh, yeah. that you get together and you're just like, I don't know. This isn't Rift really in time, work. sent to another dimension kind of thing. Yeah. Perfect, fine. Right in the purview of both Planet of the Apes and Green Lantern. Uh, shockingly enough, we have two Dynamite books this week. We do. Uh, we spoke about Vampirella as an introductory issue. We also wanted to touch on Will Eisner's The Spirit, The Corpse Makers, Chapter 1. The reason to bring this up, Francisco Francovella writes and draws... Uh, colors, inks, does everything, letters even. Um, Frank Avila is someone, if, if you've been around comics for a while, you've seen him, he does a lot of covers, he's been doing Afterlife with Archie, he's the writer on Images Invisible Republic, which is an awesome yes. sci-fi political thriller drama piece that is very, very involved. Um, but here he's got a story taking Will Eisner's character, The Spirit, in that classic pulp piece just so perfect for this. Yeah. Um, I couldn't imagine uh, a better person right now to take on Will Eisner's yeah. spirit. Darwin Cook was the last uh, big artist to tackle the spirit. Yeah, he and... was writing a lot of it, and um, J-Bone was doing some of that art, yes, he too. Was. He was very, very stylized. Uh, the issue is dedicated to Will Eisner and Darwin Cook. This year is the centennial for Will Eisner, 1917-2017. So both Eisner... And, and Kirby. Uh, Kirby were born in the same year. I didn't realize that. Um, the the champion of the graphic novel, as it says here for the for the Will Eisner piece. So it's it's a chance to celebrate these creators who brought so much. Uh, two of, I think maybe the four or five most important creators that you would think of in modern comics. Oh, yeah. you know, Stan Lee and Steve Ditko, um, Eisner and Kirby, and um, um, uh, Schuster as well. Yeah, those type of people. So we have uh, we have a, a homeless man who. Passes away, doesn't look like there's anything, uh, the police special. don't think there's anything foul play with it, but it seems like his his buddy that comes back to, to get to, there's something there, there's something going on. We have the cops and, and the spirit, uh, the cops are just sort of like, eh, you don't need to be here, you know, we can't solve our own cases and it doesn't look like there's anything. Yeah, we got classic so uh, the spirit leaves. Nolan and the spirit. Yeah. He gets to his uh, his taxi driver. The taxi driver goes off and meets his cousin, and of course his cousin is involved in something shady. It It's very... In, in again that crime noir kind of pulp style it jumps boom 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 yes. boom Lots piece of by piece cuts. by piece so there's a lot of things that are laid down in this which I love there's a lot of different things that are happening yep. and going on it is as yep. always with Frankville it's gorgeous the colors are gorgeous and it doesn't explain that much other than kind of just lays the groundwork of what's going on with um, uh, with his driver there the spirit's barely in it Right, he is. It's these pieces it's, uh, that are in it, his world. Yeah, it shifts mostly to Ebony White, who is uh, who's his longtime partner, and that's sort of where the crux of the story really begins to take off because yeah. uh, Ebony's cousin suddenly becomes involved or re-involved with shady dealings. Yeah, so something, something shady going on, and then towards the end, he's yeah. obviously going to leave you with what what is is fair. Yeah, the, we don't get enough of Frank Avila stuff, honestly. No, no not at all. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, 
Afterlife with Archie's schedule is so hit or miss. Uh, we don't see a lot of stuff. We see a lot of great covers from him. Maybe a short story here and there, but here he has jumped into a full-size story. Hopefully, he's he's. I'm, I'm thinking he's doing the art for the next one. I'm trying to see if it's in there. I certainly hope so. It uh, is. It is listed. Yeah, mystery tale by Frank Frank uh, Francisco Francavilla. Nice. Um, definitely Francavilla is one of those guys. Much like Darwin Cook, uh, a number of other guys that we can think of is in that the writer artist creator. I mean, yeah. just to, just to, can create a book from start to finish. Um, can write very well, is very versed in the genre that he's working in. Like I uh, Invisible Republic is, is, a, is a big political thriller, but it's also a sci-fi book because it takes place on another planet. Right. Um, it's very involved. It's very complex. And Frank Avila is writing it. Uh, this we have here. We have Crime Noir that he's nailing. I'm sure he has creative input with uh, Roberto Aguirre Sasca for afterlife with archie he's been involved in writing uh star wars books before so definitely someone who has crafted uh all the aspects of what it takes to put a comic book together for the most part i mean if he had his own printer i'm sure he'd be putting out comics as well so definitely something that if if you're a fan the spirit was something i got into late uh because i remember looking at eisner's old art and just thinking this is so far ahead of his time yes unbelievable it looked like a modern book and it was written in the 1940s or 50s or whatever will eisner uh is one of the greats and if you haven't they do have old archive books of the classic spirit stuff they're very of their times that's a bit of a warning for anyone who may be uh not knowing what to expect when they go in to read some classic spirit stuff but i do recommend checking it out and it it is by dynamite dc has been the publisher for the spirit for a very long time yeah they did the last the the last uh, archives book or or um adventures i think it was spirit adventures yes but yeah, those those were great too. His issues were like one offs here and there, and 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 like so J Bone did a lot of it, and then there's some other artists as well. That stuff's always been fun to pick up. You usually find it in the the, the back issue bins or even clearance bins or that type. So yeah, definitely one we wanted to bring forward. If you're looking for that kind of book, this you, you can't go wrong with this because especially with with someone like Frank Avila doing top to bottom, it's just a, a gift that you don't get very often. So. Uh, the final book we're going to cover is the newest in the Star Wars series, Star Wars Darth Maul. Cullen Bunn, Cullen Bunn, Bunn, Cullen Bunn, uh, Cullen Bunn doing the writing, Luke Ross doing the art. Um, Luke Ross is one of those guys who I think is extremely underappreciated. Someone who is a very solid comic book artist. You know, he's not going to be someone that's going to blow you away, but it's also someone that you know you're going to get your book out. It's going to look gorgeous and it's going to be on time. Um, and then there's a great backup story by Chris Iliopoulos and Jordi Belair with uh, with Darth Maul's droids, which is a lot of fun. Yes. Uh, Darth cartoon. Maul book takes place before Phantom Menace. takes place before uh, Darth Sidious and Darth Maul have revealed themselves to the galaxy at large. Maul is uh, consumed by the type of emotions that would make him a great Darksider. He's angry. He's bloodthirsty. He's impatient. And uh, Darth Sidious is trying to find a way to sate it to a certain degree, uh, get him out there and get started. But also he can't reveal himself too early because if he gets taken down, then everything gets exposed and the Emperor can't complete his plan. So we're following Maul as he uh, as he's trying to he's he's on a he's on a literal safari hunt trying to say this thing gets back, gets into the argument with the Emperor and the Emperor gives him a job. Uh, his mining concern has a problem. Marl's going to go take care of it. The 
the part of the book is, I mean, it's fairly straightforward. Um, there's nothing that's too crazy there except uh, basically what happens afterwards. And we won't say because, you know, we want you to discover that sort of thing. Uh, it is very reminiscent of the Darth Maul series from Dark Horse. Dark Horse, yes. Yeah, Same idea with Black sure. Sun. Uh, but not in a bad way. Um, he's definitely dealing with a criminal element, an underworld. You, in a way, Maul is kind of one of those characters, much like we talked about with Bullseye as we come full circle, a character that is a villain, but you kind of revel in what they do in a, right. in a sadistic way to a certain degree. You want to see Maul kick some ass, get that double-sided blader going, flipping it around, cutting stuff up. Right, uh, right. Because he's, you know, he's someone who didn't get a lot of a lot of uh, motion picture screen time. He's obviously his story continues in the in the uh, in Rebels currently. Rebels currently, and he has plus stuff in Clone Wars as well. So this will be the first kind of canon Maul story. Like I said, it takes place before Episode One, so we get to start for this sort of thing. We get a little bit of a peek into a time just before Phantom Menace, and yeah. it's kind of nice. It's kind of nice, especially because in uh, you mentioned it uh, in the Phantom Menace, he doesn't really have much of a character. Uh, yeah. or characterization or very much have anything to do really he's just sort of following the Jedi yeah, it's definitely, around definitely a look yeah yeah and this is I appreciate expanding on a character in a good way and Darth Maul is always a guy that is you know people love him for how visually impressive the character looks but... that's that's where it starts I mean that's the Phantom Menace is based a lot of stuff is based on, on a pure visual sense yes uh, something that you take in very quickly I mean Queen Amidala has that just put in the type of um, costuming. So for the flaws that you want to give those films, costuming was, uh, in design sense, I think were very quickly yes. yep. a, a, a masterful stroke in a lot of ways of be able to convey information very quickly, which is what you're supposed to do. Um, Maul always said, yes, a very visual style, and of course Ray Park's acrobatics and, and uh, martial arts that, that brought to that character. A lot of people love this character. Right, there's been, it, very much. There's I... been novels, there's been comics. He obviously was brought back. You, know, you don't bring a character like that back into something like Clone Wars or um, the Rebels if fans are not going to like it. Right. You, know? you have to be very careful with how you're going to reintroduce the character. And he's very much he's very much the Boba Fett of his time. Boba Fett is a character. When you look at Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, has maybe ten lines. I don't even think he has that. The, maybe, maybe probably even three. less than that. Might have three lines. What if he doesn't survive? He's worth a lot to me. Put Captain Solo in the cargo hold. As you wish. As you wish. And uh, I, that might be oh, it. Oh, and ah! no, that's Jedi. Yes, he has one line in Jedi. And it's Whoa! As he's uh, killed by a blind man. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, well, no, he's killed by the Sarlacc. He's, he, he's yes, put he's into the by, Sarlacc. He's put into the Sarlacc by, by a by, blind man. But that's that's what makes Han Solo cool. Even yes. blind, he finally takes out Boba Fett. So yeah, no. The, um, so the Darth Maul sort of has that that visual appeal. Boba Fett's appeal is very much the very much in his armor. And the way the character is carried by the yeah. by the actor who basically has no lines whatsoever. Yeah, Jeremy Bullock's uh, body language. I mean, the same thing with David Prowse. Yes, uh, the body language was so important. The way that they carried themselves in their costumes. You know, the costume has a lot to do with it, but you have to carry yourself within that costume. Yeah, in a way that conveys what you're trying to convey, and just the movements that Bullock used. Nothing very quick. Yep. You know, just kind of the way that he, when he first comes out in the dinner scene, he just puts the gun kind of down a little bit, and you're just like, okay, that guy's a badass. Yeah, it's very collected, very yeah. calm and collected. It's usually that he's he's memorable in a, in a spot in which, you know, when you're there in 1981 or whatever, you just saw Darth Vader stop five or six blaster bolts with his bare hand, his, his yeah. gloved hand, you're just like, dude, You can what? just stop laser bolts, that's awesome. <laughs> that's always that old meme. I was like, what does Han do? Han shoots the mother effer. Be like Han. <laughs> Doesn't work, but... 
Um, He's if, a go-getter. Yeah, if you're a Star Wars fan, again, Marvel, I, there hasn't really been a miss. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's nothing. I mean, even the, the Kanan book is so much better than I think it, it has any right to be. It was so good. Uh, Lando is fantastic. Chewbacca is great. Lando, I think, is easily my favorite so far. And yeah, in terms, of, in terms of the yeah Lando, in terms of the mini series that they've done, the character centric ones, Lando I think is the best. Uh, yeah. Charles Soule and Alex Mayleave, beautiful, beautiful book. Um, Leia is pretty strong. Uh, probably the weakest of the ones that are there, but that's not saying much. Obi Wan and Anakin was a decent story. Um, again, the Kanan book is really good. Obviously, Vader as an ongoing, and the Star Wars ongoing has brought a lot to. Uh, the, these new canon storytelling, it's in that same that same vein, the same vein. Who's ever kind of shepherding these characters into these creators, I think really works. Colin Bunn is an is a uh, experienced and established writer. It's got a good sense. The the dialogue is at a is at a pretty much a minimum, and we have the omniscient omniscient uh, narrator, not omniscient, the first person narrator, I guess, in, in a sense. In, yeah, because it's Maul. Darth Maul. He's talking. He's, he's getting yeah, it's the inside of his stuff, and it's it's you know the language is good there because it's not just straightforward. Of I'm angry and I want to kill stuff, you know. There's the way that it's presented is in a way that uh, yeah. very impatient. Yeah. Like I, you know, I, I I've been training my whole life to do this. And I'm just waiting to I, get let go. Yeah. I need my job. I need. I need to take the I, reins off. Take yeah. the take the take the the, uh, the shackles off. He and, needs to cut loose and let me go. And it looks gorgeous too. Oh, yeah, Luke Ross, like I said, very very good. I want to say he's done some Star Wars before, but I could be wrong. So that's our stack for this week. Uh, I think Spirit Corpse Makers is probably top the book. The, the book. Yeah, top book probably for both of us. My sentimental side in terms of Star Wars, I love it when there's a new Star Wars comic out. I mean, if you haven't read Dr. Afra, you're missing one of the best. Oh, yeah. Easy. Yeah, yeah, another great book that just has no business being just like, it's a character that's not on the screen or whatever, but, you know, developed by Kieran Gillen into a character that people will care about with these great supporting casts. Dr. Afra's become a great book. So, Darth Maul's Mind too. We've also got Bullseye, Vampirella, and Planet of the Apes, Green Lantern is all good starts, as always. Um, that's pretty much going to wrap it up for I this week. I think so. Of course, commentating is a part of the Nerdables family of shows. Check out the Nerdables podcast Every Monday? Sunday? I'm trying to remember when Rich Fitz posted. I think it's Monday. Usually Monday. I think it's Monday. Sunday or Monday, you'll see a new one every week as we wax poetic over the pop culture givings of the week. Um, and, of course, our particular podcast here is sponsored by Earth 2 Comics Northridge. We are graciously in their back room. Boss called. Didn't get in, I didn't get in trouble for doing this, so that's kind of cool. Uh <laughs> Uh, Earth 2 Comics is in Northridge. We also have a location in Sherman Oaks. Both locations stocked chock full of the books we mentioned. The quarter book for Vampirella. And, of course, this week is the Walking Dead 163. Quarter yeah. book to start uh, the new... New story arc, right? Yeah, new story arc. Um, yeah, for a quarter. Again, give, I mean, give it a shot. Even if you haven't read it, if you just want to kind of know what the comic's yeah. about, you've been a fan of the show, you just want to see maybe where, where it's going, then that, I think, is the way to do it for my partner sebastian this is chris saying we'll talk to you next week